Well, good morning, church. This past week, I spent some time doing some spring cleaning. My spring cleaning is like a little late this year. It's more like summer cleaning. But one of the things I was cleaning up was my phone, like the apps on my phone. It was just such a mess. I have so many pages of apps on my phone, and my boys are constantly telling me, Mom, you need to organize those into a folder, put them in folders, but I don't know how to do that, so I just start deleting them all, the ones that I don't use. So you'll be happy to know that after a week of deleting, I only have 185 apps left on my phone. Um, Well, real quick, I want to show you. I got an applause down front. Thank you so much. Real quick, I want to show you my favorite app right now. It's called Countdown. And um, my oldest up there has been away at sports camp for four weeks. And so the minute he left, I started that countdown timer that told me how many um, days, hours, minutes, and seconds it was until he came home. And as of last night, my counter hit zero because he came home. And now this is no longer my favorite app this morning, okay? But um, it was my favorite app. Um, I think everyone's got one. So I want you right now to turn to the person next to you and tell them what your favorite app is currently. And if you don't have apps or use apps, you do you. That's totally fine. You don't need to have one. But really quick, turn to the person next to you. Tell them what your favorite app is right now. Okay. Everyone's got one, I think, right now. Well, I think by the buzz in the room, it would be safe to say that we really like things that make our life easier and a little more organized, right? And apps seem to do that. So get this, to date, app developers have created 8.93 million mobile apps, okay? And just this year, as of right now, there have been 255 billion app downloads worldwide, and that number changes every second. Um, On average, smartphone users have about 40 apps on their phone and access about 10 a day or 30 per month. And as you know, there are a gazillion different types of apps, everything from like banking apps, ordering food, um, online types of apps, fitness tracking, gaming, music, movies, travel apps. And all of these apps help us make our lives easier and more organized. But here's what I would also add to that. Our dependence on apps and even things like hacks, and I'll just add just the sheer amount of information that we have access to, I think it has given us a little bit of a false dependence on ourselves to solve our problems, right? Like if you've got a problem or a solution that you're trying to find, chances are there is an app or a hack or a help that is gonna help you get to the end of that problem, and it's all at our fingertips. And I think that because of the sheer amount of helps out there, we have enough information at our fingertips um, to give us the ability to self-diagnose, self-analyze, self-teach, self-train, self-soothe, self-promote, self-justify, self-employ, and self-motivate ourselves all on our own, right? Like as human beings, we have kind of evolved with the help of technology into people who can do all the things. And the only person that we ever have to really truly rely upon is ourselves. And so I think that running to information or an app or a hack has become second nature to us when a problem arises in our life that we are trying to solve. But here's the question. What do you do when you come to the end of all that you can do? 
when there are no more apps or hacks or helps to keep you moving through? Like, what do you do when you discover that your spouse has a drug addiction? Well, there is no app for that, right? Or what do you do when the diagnosis comes to you? There is no life hack for that. What do you do when you lose your job? There are apps and hacks that can help you find jobs but not help you land a job. Or what do you do when you know that your child is struggling with depression or mental illness? There simply is no app for that. And what you start to realize is that there is no good app for any impossible situation that you find yourself in. And what you start to realize is that you don't know how to do everything and you can't do everything on your own. And all of a sudden, that internal thing that we have, that self-reliance, it starts to unravel and panic and desperation starts to set in. And you know what? No amount of time spent on the Calm app is really going to give you the amount of peace that you need when life hits you square in the face. And I know some of us here, I'd imagine we know what it feels like to come to the end of ourselves. You have had that moment where you discover something or a realization hits home and you ask yourself, oh my gosh, what in the world am I going to do? There is no easy way out of this. In fact, this situation seems impossible. What do you do when you've come to the end of all that you can do? When you come to the end of yourself and there's no way forward in the midst of your impossible situation? Well, I want to suggest to you this morning, when you cannot app or hack or self-help your way out of a situation, it's, it's time to start name-dropping. And that is the name of this series that we're starting today. And I want to chat for a minute about the name of this series, Name Dropping. What do I mean by that? Well, I think we all know what it is, right? Like if I were to tell you before I became a pastor that I wanted to become a chef, and I told you that I actually had the opportunity to classically train with Julia Child before she passed, what would you think of that? Didn't really happen, but you were maybe impressed for like a split second. You were like, really? That's name dropping. Okay, that's what name dropping is. I think we understand uh, why we do it, and I think it's very interesting the names that we choose to drop. But I also think it's very interesting to look at why we actually do it. Why do we name drop? Well, on a psychological level, um, we are very simply hoping to elevate our status. Okay, by name dropping, we are hoping to elevate our status into the presence of the person whose name we are dropping. And so name dropping at its core is all about proximity. It's about getting close. There is something deep inside of us that wants to be close to the person whose name we are dropping. And I think right here, it gets at the heart of what this series name dropping is all about. But here, just let me say this. When we talk about name dropping in this series, we're not talking about dropping random names of famous people in order to impress each other. That's not what this series is about. When we talk about name dropping, we're gonna be talking about something a little different as we walk through the next five weeks. And in order to explain to use this phrase, name dropping, and how we're gonna use it, I need to talk for a minute about names. Okay, most of you know what your name means, right? 
You know what your name means? Um, Chances are that when your parents named you, they wanted to give you a name that meant something to them. They might have looked up your name in a book or something and said, oh, I like the idea of that. I want to name my child that. For example, I am a twin, and when my sister and I were born, uh, we were three months premature. And so when I was born, I weighed two pounds and 14 ounces, and my sister weighed two pounds and seven ounces. So I was bigger than her by seven ounces, which is a pretty big deal when you only weigh two pounds apiece, right? So here we are. This is our picture of when we were born. Look at us, little alien babies. (laughs) How big our heads are. Um, Guess which one is me? I'll give you a hint. I am not the one smiling. I was a little curmudgeon-y baby. Um, But my mom and dad did not have names picked out. They did not know what they were going to name us. And because Tracy was seven ounces smaller, she had some catching up to do, and that is my sister's name, Tracy. And they gave her that name because it means warrior. So she had to fight a little to, to gain some weight. Now, I, however, was a whopping two pounds and 14 ounces. Nothing at all wrong with me. And so my mom and dad gave me the name Jody, which means grace of God. So yes, it is true that you are being taught by the grace of God this morning. Okay. And so we choose names based on what they mean and by what quality we want to assign to the thing that we're naming, whether it's a a child or a pet or whatever it is they're naming. But for the most part, names are descriptive in nature. They describe something. But this tends to shift a little bit when we're talking about the names of God. Um, You might know God as um, Jesus, because God and Jesus are one, so when we talk about God, you might also think Jesus. Or you might have heard God be referred to as Father, because that's another common name that we hear God um, kind of go by. But when we start looking at the pages of of the Bible, we see that there are all these other names that we can use to refer to God. And here is what is so interesting. When we look at the 30 plus names of God that we find in the Old Testament, um, a handful of them, only a handful of them are descriptive in nature, like we were just talking about, like um, everlasting one or God almighty. Those are descriptive names. But by and large, most of the names given to God in the Old Testament describe his activity. They describe what he actually does, things that only he can do as the God of the universe. And they are very, very specific. And this is crucial for us to know. Why? Because when we talk about name dropping over the next several weeks, We are talking about dropping these specific names of God, not to elevate ourselves into his presence to make ourselves look better, but in order to invite him and his activity down into our lives to do the things that only he can do, to do the things that he is so famous for. When we talk about name dropping, we're talking about calling on God to bring his power and his specific activity down into those situations where we have come to the end of ourselves, down into the middle of our impossible, down into the middle of our conflict and our crisis, down into the middle of our burnout and our pain and our despair. And so Crosswinds, this morning, I just want to ask you, how do you come this morning? Because I know, I know that some of you are carrying the impossible 
with you this morning. You're in impossible situations. And no matter how hard you have tried to carve a path out of your situation, nothing is working and you are not moving forward and you have come to the end of yourself. And so I just wanna ask you this morning, what would it look like for you to, to just put down your phone right now with all of the apps and stop relying on all of the hacks and put away all of the helps. Because here is the truth. Whenever you hit the impossible in your life, there is no good app for that. And there is no good hack for that. And there is no good help for that. But I'm telling you this morning, there is a name for that. There is a name. And those are the names that we are going to be dropping throughout this series because those names are attached to a God who loves you and your family and your friends and your life and your situation more than you ever could. And when it comes to the impossible, he is a God who knows exactly what to do. Amen. I wanna show you the first name that we're gonna look at today. And I really think that out of the names we're gonna look at, I think this one is my favorite. And so I wanna show you and read you the scripture passage where this name is found, and then describe the name just a little bit. But let me just set up the context for you of this passage for just a minute, okay? Um, In the book of Exodus, there is this familiar story about a guy um, named Moses. God's people had been enslaved for like hundreds of years, and they are begging for a way out of this slavery. And so God calls on this guy named Moses, and he says, hey, I need you to go to that Egyptian pharaoh, and I need for you to ask him to let my people go. Talk about an impossible situation. It's probably not going to happen. And so Moses starts to freak out, and he says, okay, God, if I go do this, if I say yes to this, How is anyone gonna know that you're the one who sent me? How are they not just gonna think I'm just a crazy person asking for this? How are they gonna know that you are the one who has sent me to do this? And God answers this question for Moses, and this is what God says. He says, um, this is Moses talking, but who am I to appear before Pharaoh, Moses asked God. How can you expect me to lead the Israelites out of Egypt? Then God told him, I will be with you, and this will serve as proof that I have sent you. When you have brought the Israelites out of Egypt, you will return here to worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they won't believe me. They will ask, which God are you talking about? What is his name? What should I then tell them? And God replied, I am the one who always is. Just tell them I am has sent me to you. Say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This, this is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. And right there, crosswinds, right there, this is the first time in the Bible that we see God has a specific name. Because up until this point, he was being referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But now in this moment, when Moses says, what do I call you? 
God gives himself a name, and he tells Moses how he wants to be identified, and he says, call me Yahweh. This is my eternal name. Now, we've got to talk about this for a second, and I kind of need you to hang with me for a minute, because in order to understand this name, we have to understand a little bit about biblical Hebrew, so don't tune me out, because it's really important to understand this. I need you to look at the word Yahweh. Let's have it come up. There we go. When this word first appeared in the Hebrew Bible, it was only written with the consonants Y-H-W-H. And the reason for this is most Hebrew words were made up of a root word that only contained consonants and no vowels. The reality is that in biblical Hebrew, there were no vowels. Hebrew was a vowelless alphabet, okay? And the reason is because most vowels were spoken and not written. This is what I mean by that. Um, the Hebrew culture was a culture of oral tradition before it had a written tradition, okay? And what that meant was that if you were reading biblical Hebrew, because you already knew the story, when you came across a root word, you would already know the story. You already knew what word that was supposed to be. So you would already know what vowels go with that root word because you knew the story. And so they just didn't write vowels down and it would kind of help them save space on the parchments that they were using. So they would only write the consonants that would give you the root word. And the saving grace of all of this was really that if you knew the word and the vowels kind of changed on that word, it really didn't change the meaning of that word all that, that much. Maybe it would change the tense of a verb. Does that make sense? However, sometimes changing the vowels changes the meaning of the word altogether. And here's where it matters when we're looking at this name of God. Y-H-W-H is the root name for God, okay? But because we have lost the oral tradition, we don't know exactly which vowels are supposed to go with this root word, okay? We don't know how this word was originally pronounced. And without the vowels, we can't know the exact meaning of the name Yahweh. However, this is what we do know, and I think this is the coolest part. These four letters are not really a name at all. They're not a name at all. It's actually a verb. And it's the verb to be. It's the verb of being. And because of all of the different vowel combinations that we can add to this and kind of guess at that go with these consonants, there can, this word can actually be translated a ton of different ways. Look at some of the ways Yahweh has been translated. I am that I am. I will be who and what I will be. I was, the self-existent one. I who was and always will be. He who is. He who brings it into being. He who causes things to happen. He who makes things which have been made Try and put that on a driver's license, right? So many meanings and multiple layers of meaning in his name. And because there are no vowels, um, it's a verb that we cannot totally pin down or define. But I'll tell you, even in the midst of these multiple layers of meaning, what all of those names boil down to, what they all boil down to, is that God is present. God is present. And I think what God is saying to Moses in this instance is this. He is saying, look, Moses, 
I am not just a quality or a nice idea. I am. I am present. I am involved. I am a creator. I created all things and I control all things. Moses, what you need to know right now is that I was, I am, I can, and I will be with you and I will be all that you need me to be. Yahweh is not just a nice name. My name tells you that whatever it is that you need, I will go to work for you in the midst of your impossible situation. I am Yahweh and I am present. And I just wanna stop right now and I wanna tell you that God is saying the same thing to you. Whatever you are facing right now, whatever your impossible is, God says to you, you can call on me. I am present. I will go to work for you in the midst of your diagnosis. I will go to work for you in the midst of your marriage crisis, in your, your mental health situation, in the middle of your financial crisis. The Yahweh God says to you, I am present. And I'll tell you, even as I say that, while it might bring you comfort, and it should, because that truth alone can sustain us in some of the hardest of days, it's still kind of vague, right? Because we said earlier that by name dropping the name of Yahweh and by name dropping the name of God, we are calling a specific activity and power down into our lives, right? And I wanna spell that out just a little bit more of what that looked like for Moses because it's important. What exactly did God do for Moses in his situation? Don't you wanna know? What did he actually do? Well, let's look and see. Moses does exactly what God asks, and he goes to Pharaoh, and he asks for his people to be let go, and Pharaoh says no, and God says 10 plagues, and then Pharaoh says, okay, I'll let them go, and so the Pharaoh releases God's people, and Moses leads them out of Egypt. Well, when they left Egypt, God had a specific place for them to go. They were to go to this place called the Promised Land, um, but God did not want to lead them through enemy territory, and so he led them through this wilderness to the edge of the Red Sea. Well, after they leave, Pharaoh changes his mind, and he's like, no way, I cannot let this happen. I have to save face on this one, and so he sends his army after the Israelites, and this is where things get pretty dire for Moses. As they begin to approach the shores of the Red Sea, they get word that Pharaoh's armies are approaching and they start to panic. You know why? Because this is an impossible situation. It's totally impossible. There is no way out of this. There is no way forward. Because as they stood on the edge of the Red Sea, this is what they would have seen. At this time, its maximum width was 190 miles across. Its greatest depth was 9,580 feet, and its area was approximately 174,000 square miles. We are not just talking about a river that you have to cross. It was a legitimate sea. And what was behind them was the Egyptian army. We don't know how many, but Exodus does tell us that there were 600 of these chariots. And you figure one guy per chariot, right? Or maybe two, 600 to 1,200 guys coming up on their tail and they're stuck. And it is in the midst of this impossible situation that Moses has some advice for his people. This is what he says. 
As Pharaoh and his army approached, the people of Israel could see them in the distance marching toward them. The people began to panic and they cried out to the Lord for help. When they turned to Moses, oh, then they turned against Moses and they complained, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? Why did you make us leave? Didn't we tell you to leave us alone while we were still in Egypt? Our Egyptian slavery was far better than dying out here in the wilderness. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand where you are and watch the Lord rescue you. The Egyptians that you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. You don't have to lift a finger in your defense. And so the advice of Moses in this situation is this, watch the Lord in action. And I love this. Anytime you see that word Lord written this way in scripture, do you know what word it actually is? It's Yahweh. It's Yahweh. And so Moses is telling the people, Yahweh is here. Moses remembers what Yahweh told him before, that he will be enough for him and that he will go to work from him in the midst of his impossible situation. And so he tells his people, don't do anything. Just stand back and watch. He did not tell them to pull out their iPhones and download the app Savvy Navi so they could navigate their way across the sea. He did not tell them to go onto YouTube to figure out how to build a boat. He didn't tell them to go onto Amazon and and buy a self-help book to help calm them down a little bit so that they wouldn't panic. He did not tell them to start strategizing or plan a way out of it or start figuring out their defense plan or set a trap or anything like that. And by the way, I would have done every single one of those things. He just says, watch Yahweh. Watch the I am at work. And this is what Yahweh does. Exodus 14. Then the angel of God, who had been leading the people of Israel, moved to a position behind them. And the pillar of cloud also moved around behind them. The cloud settled between the Israelites and Egyptian camps. As night came, the pillar of cloud turned into a pillar of fire, lighting the Israelite camp. But the cloud became darkness to the Egyptians so that they could not find the Israelites. And then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord Yahweh opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night, turning the seabed into dry land. So the people of Israel walked through the sea on dry ground with walls of water on each side. And what happens in the midst of this impossible situation is that Yahweh, the I am, he makes a way where there is no way and Yahweh becomes the way maker. Yahweh becomes the way maker. Um, 
I have a confession to make this morning, and that is that I have a fascination with abnormally large things, things that should be really small, but that actually turn out to be very big. Like, I love to investigate and research extreme machinery, machinery that is really huge, that really should be very small, okay? So let me show you this picture of Big Bertha. This is Big Bertha. This is the largest tunnel boring machine in the world. It's 57 feet wide, 320 feet long, and it weighs 6,700 tons. And once upon a time, this tunnel boring machine actually bore a tunnel underneath the city of Seattle that was four lanes um, long and four lanes wide. Um, and here's how it works. While the 57 feet wide head, uh, head spins, there's like these little four by six drill bits on it that also spin at the same time and they kind of break apart the smaller rocks and things like that that this tunnel is boring through. And then there's all these gears on the top of its head that breaks apart the larger boulders. So this thing actually can bore a tunnel underground underneath the city of Seattle at 35 feet a day. Now that is a lot. Think about the sheer amount of power it would take to cut through that kind of earth, all right? It would take a ton. And so Big Bertha is a massive earth mover. Like really nothing should be this big or able to move that much earth, but Big Bertha does. And this is fascinating to me. It is fascinating, number one, that she is named Big Bertha, and that she is a she. And it's also fascinating to me that we as human beings can actually create and think up these modern day way makers. But I have to be honest with you, even as I share with you about what these modern day um, way makers can do, I almost just want to tell you, so what? Like, so what? Like, am I really standing up here teaching you this morning and comparing that Big Bertha is anything like Yahweh, our waymaker that we find in the Bible? Like, am I really making that comparison this morning? Like, saying that they're comparable? The answer is no. But in all honesty, it's the best I could do. It is the best I could come up with. And you see, for this past week, Crosswinds, I have been really struggling. And I have really been wrestling with figuring out how. How do I explain Yahweh to you? This incredible waymaker. How do I explain this waymaker to the church that I love? How do I get that point across? How do I really show you what God as your waymaker can do? so that you will understand and that it will hit home. And as I was wrestling with this this week, I very clearly heard God tell me, you can't. Jody, you can't. Because there are truths about me that you can teach, but there are other truths about me that need to be lived and your job and my job in the midst of our impossible situations is to call on the name of Yahweh and his specific activity down into our lives and then we get to stand back and watch. I can't teach you God is present. I can't teach that as God is present with you, he is also making a way for you. Why? Because Yahweh is a name that has to be experienced. 
It has to be experienced. You have got to live it between you and God. And I am telling you, he is just waiting for you to call upon that name so you can stand back and watch. And it goes against every fiber in our being to do that, doesn't it? To just stand back and watch while God does all the heavy lifting. Because again, we live in a culture that tells us you can do it on your own. You can figure out a way by yourself. But let me tell you, any way you can fashion, any path you can carve, any plan you can create, it will pale in comparison to what Yahweh, the way maker, can do for you in the midst of your impossible. It just will fail and it will pale in comparison. Because there are miracles in this life that only a divine way maker can fashion, things that only God can do. And I am telling you that creating pathways when there aren't any are his specialty. They're his specialty, it's what he does. But I know the reality is that some of you have been waiting for him to create a pathway for you for a very long time, and you are beginning to wonder if it's ever going to happen. But I want to show you something. In Isaiah chapter 43, God's people, the Israelites, again, find themselves enslaved. They're in exile, again, away from their home, again. And they're crying out to God, again. And the prophet Isaiah, he wants to remind them of what Yahweh did for them then and what he will do for them now. And this is what he says, what Yahweh says. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Now, I don't know how you feel about that word through. I would have chosen any other preposition than, the, than through. Like my favorite one would be over. When you pass over, the water, I will be with you. Like, we're just gonna pick you up on one side of the water and we're gonna take you right over and we're gonna drop you off on the other side. I would have cho chosen over, but God uses the word through. But here's why it's a good thing. The word through tells us that this crisis is not forever. The word through carries movement and progress and forward action. The word through tells us that God is not gonna ask you to set up camp right in the middle of your scary waters and where the water is high. You do not have to live there. The word through tells you that this situation is temporary and that when the mighty waters rise in your life, you will get through because God is the one who is making a way. And so for those of you who have been waiting, you are waiting for your pathway. When Yahweh is present, the promise to you is always through. Every single time. Every time. Crosswinds, the God who was and is and is to come, who created everything out of nothing, who created everything just by speaking it into existence, if that God, Yahweh, can do that, he can make a way for you. He can create a path for you, even when one seems impossible. Some of you are in the midst of your impossible, right, as we sit here this morning, and you're so tired, you're exhausted, you're discouraged. You have come to the end of all that you can do, and as you sit here this morning, you're just done. There's nothing left. 
And you are asking those same questions that the Israelites asked as they sat on the shore of the Red Sea that day. Is this situation hopeless? Is it impossible? Is there a way home for me? What would it be for you right now to call upon Yahweh, your way maker, and then just stand back and watch? And and maybe not just stand back and watch, maybe just anticipate and trust that God is going to work for you right this minute, making a way where there isn't one. I want to help you do that right now. I actually want to name drop over you this morning. And so I'm going to pray a prayer over you. And it's got the name of Yahweh all throughout it. And every time you hear me say the name Yahweh, I want you to own it for yourself. Claim that over your life. That as you say the name Yahweh, as you hear it, you know that God is making a way for you. I want you to just sit for a moment, maybe just close your eyes. This is what God says to you, crosswinds, this morning. I am Yahweh, your Holy One. I am your King. I made a way through the sea and a path through the mighty waters. I drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again. I made a path for the Israelites, and I, Yahweh, will make a path for you too. This is my promise to you. Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. I am Yahweh. I am doing a new thing for you. It is springing up right now, now at this very moment. Do you see it? I, Yahweh, am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Trust me. Stand back and watch and see what I will do.